So let's talk about that. So what have you heard from a dental office that wanted to attract better C-suite or needed more C-suite folks? And they just knew, right? They knew how to explain their culture, like right out of the box where you got it. Like how, how did that, what did they say that made you understand that? Well, I, I, it goes back to me doing a little research on them when they say, hey, I want this. Not just talking to the executives that are saying, hey, we want this position. I will listen to what they have to say. Then I will go look at their digital footprint. Then I will read reviews and things of that nature. Because, you know, when it's like dating, you know, you can hear one thing from somebody and then you go read things and you're trying to pull that all together. And what does your entity, how does it evolve? What are the people that are inside bringing that makes your culture top notch or brings it down a lever to where people think, hey, I can't go there or I don't want to stay there. So it's it's a whole process of investigation and finding out what what it is that makes them who they are. I've seen people do this where they're like, oh, I'm an executive at uh, a DSO and I want to start my own business or I want to go work for now. I was just talking to a, a, an individual that recently he was a like really high up in Henry Shine, and then he moved over to CEO of a DSO. I need to hire probably maybe a CEO or a CFO or a COO or whatever, whatever that first kind of hire is for them. What, what is, what's one piece of advice that you'd give to people? And they, they, and I'm thinking just to give you, to give you some help, like I'm thinking five to 10 locations the dentist is still the main producer of all of those practices, they're, but they're starting to transition out. They've just realized, man, as I transition out, I'm actually going to make less money and take more business risk and more loans out. So it's hard for them to make this jump because it's it doesn't make financial sense or common sense. It's actually a calculated move for a long-term benefit. And so they're just starting to figure that out, but they know they need to do that. And now they're like, I need support. Like I I can't be HR and CEO and CFO and COO. What, what's your per- first piece of advice as people start to step into that direction? They have to understand that it's okay to be curious. It's okay to give themselves a promotion. Welcome to another episode of Dental Marketing Go. I'm your host, Gary Bird. I'm the founder of SMC National, where we help you create, convert, and close more new patients so you can grow the way that you want. And today I have Teresa, who is an executive career in the dental space, and you're going to want to tune in for this. She's going to give some of the secrets to recruiting the right kind of C-suite staff that you're going to need to grow and when you should be attracting those kind of people. And you're not going to want to miss this because that is crucial in growth, is having the right team at the top. And I know a lot of our listeners are in a place where you're just getting started and you're starting to attract those kind of people. So stay tuned. All right, Teresa. So I'm excited to talk to you today. It was great catching up with you at Dykema. And we're going to have a really exciting conversation because this is the number one problem that people are facing right now. And I'm seeing tons of turnover in this area. So I want to start our conversation off with what are you seeing that is helping mid-market DSOs grow when it comes to their C-suite recruiting? Oh, gosh. So this can come from both angles. This comes from candidate and client angle. But one of the things that I see 
needing to grow and growing is uh, the common theme of culture. When someone's exiting someplace or when somebody is looking for something, the word that I hear all the time is culture. I've read it in articles. I've heard it on panels. And somebody says, we need a good cultural fit. So from there, you're like, well, can you put that into something tangible? Can you put that into words? What does that mean to you? What does that mean to someone else? And it's surprising when you flip that word around and ask them to tell you what that means. They stumble over it, whether they're leaving someplace or whether they're wanting to go someplace else, whether someone's trying to attract someone and they're saying they just need to be a cultural fit. Well, I can't just take this blue pen and stick it someplace where somebody wants a green pen. Like that wouldn't fit. So if they can't articulate what that means, and sometimes it's, I call it the field test. You have to actually physically go and see what that means for that organization or for that person. Draw it out of them, have that conversation with them. What have they experienced in the past that tells them what culture doesn't fit for them? Because if they can't put it into words or if they can't form what that means for them, then it's hard for me to say, oh, well, this would be a good cultural fit. Sometimes it's pretty spot on. I can pick up on. Hey, sorry to interrupt the show, but we're going to do a quick segment that I think will bring you a ton of value, and we're calling it Ask Gary. So we have people who are sending in their questions to askgary at smcnational.com, or they're DMing us or dropping them in the comments below. And today's question comes from Craig, and he asks this, is direct mail marketing making a comeback? And this is a great question. And what most people don't realize about direct mail marketing is that it never went away. Um, there's always a time or an opportunity for it, but you got to understand how it works. So I'm just going to give you the basic economics of direct mail. There's always going to be a cost associated with it because you got to print a tangible thing and then you got to distribute it. So there's always going to be that cost with it. However, if you're the only person in your market doing direct mail, then it will work. Here's the tricky part though. What happens is, is people see that you're sending direct mail. Other competitors see that you're sending direct mail. And then they copy you and they send the same thing. So before, if you were sending a postcard out to, let's say, 10,000 homes, and let's say you're getting 40 new patients from it, then the next person that sends out with you, they're going to copy you. They're going to do something similar. Now you're only going to get 20 patients from it. And then other people are going to see that you two are doing it. So, of course, they got to do it too. And then they're going to cut you down. Now you're only getting about 13 new patients. And then somebody else is going to copy it. Now you're getting 10 and so on and so forth. To the next thing you know, it seems like everybody in that market is sending postcards and nobody's getting results from it. So then the cycle starts over again. Everybody stops and then they send it again. So the trick is, is trying to figure out in your market when other people aren't going to be sending postcards. And if no one's sending postcards, then it'll work great. But if everybody's sending postcards, then it doesn't work. There's also one other thing that really plays into this is that you have to realize that most people are going to go and search you online. So if if you're sending out postcards and you don't have Google reviews, you don't have your website set up properly, you don't have your phone answering set up, you're, you're at the national average of 35% unanswered call rate, then none of it's going to work anyway. So really understanding the foundation of internet marketing is really the most important thing to understand when it comes to direct mail marketing. Yeah. So then, so let's talk about that. So what have you heard from a dental office that wanted to attract better C-suite or needed more C-suite folks? And they just knew, right? They knew how to explain their culture, like right out of the box where you got it. Like how, how did that, 
what did they say that made you understand that? Well, I, I, it goes back to me doing a little research on them when they say, hey, I want this. Not just talking to the executives that are saying, hey, we want this position. I will listen to what they have to say. Then I will go look at their digital footprint. Then I will read reviews and things of that nature. Because, you know, when it's like dating, you know, you can hear one thing from somebody and then you go read things and you're trying to pull that all together. And what does your entity, how does it evolve? What are the people that are inside bringing that makes your culture top notch or brings it down a lever to where people think, hey, I can't go there or I don't want to stay there. So it's it's a whole process of investigation and finding out what what it is that makes them who they are. Mm, okay. And then from the from the team member side, so obviously when people start to work somewhere they're like this is great and then sometimes they're like this isn't great or i want to move now i just recently had a conversation with somebody who is in the c-suite and they're like hey i love this organization but it's not the place for me like i just don't want to be there um what what are you kind of experiencing or what are you seeing there because sometimes that can be a little more wishy-washy i would imagine uh from from the non-organizational side because you can love something one day and not love it the next day, right? So what what are what are your experiences there from a culture standpoint? Sometimes the culture is what we make of it. You know, we experience things through our lens instead of taking the entire landscape into consideration. So I think being able to really self-reflect and go, hey, what is my role in this? What is my part in this? Can I help shift this? Because we know culture doesn't change overnight. We know that what culture is, is something that is a team approach. Having been a clinician and been in offices that I know when I walked in the door that I'm like, oh, this is, you know, this is exactly what is going to fit my personality. And sometimes it's okay. It's okay if it doesn't, because not everybody's meant to be in the exact same space. So from a personal standpoint, from being on the other side of a hiring standpoint, you've got to understand that it's okay that not everybody is going to be a fit. And if you are the person that's going into that position, if you get in there and you're, you realize, hey, like sometimes you have to make those decisions really quickly so that that way everybody can, you know, be comfortable with saying, hey, you know, I really don't think this is going to work. Or, you know, after I've been here for, you know, let's say five years. Somebody could have been there five months or five years and realized this isn't at all what I thought it was going to be. And it doesn't have to be a bad thing, but you have to be able to recognize that inside yourself and say, what can I change? What can't I change? Is it a me thing or is this an organization? What, what are, would you say, like the people who are really good at recruiting, the ones you walk in and you can just find people for and they just hire them and they keep them What's the common theme for those organizations? Like, what's the thing that you point at and you go, that's why they're so good at not only getting the people, but keeping the people? Adaptability. I think on both sides, uh, the organizations have to be adaptable to to the people that they're bringing in. They, I mean, we don't need everybody to bend so much that they're changing who they are to fit every single person that comes in, but realizing that 
you know, we are all unique and we are all different and we have different things we can bring. So respect, respect from what everybody can bring to the table, understanding that, hey, somebody might disagree with me and that's not a bad thing. Be able to accept that and be like, push me further. Tell me more, you know, see how we can grow this because that's where change happens is in that uncomfortableness. So if an organization can really look at someone and say, hey, you know, they're going to challenge me. They're going to, you know, push me, but I can push them too. And that's okay. So being able to really embrace change and being able to embrace different perspectives, I think those are the people that can keep and foster and grow good talent. That's awesome. What, um, so w- you also work on the B2B side too, though, right? Cause we have people that listen to this that are in the B2B that try to understand what's going on in the dental market. So what's, what's the biggest difference between, and sometimes we have people who jump from the B2C side. So just for our audience, B2C is business to customer. So that's like a dental office, right? And then they jump to the B2B side. B2B is like me. I'm a B2B company, meaning I only market to other businesses and uh, those are my customers. So my customers are other businesses. So what's the biggest difference when recruiting for like B2B versus B2C? Oh, goodness. Um, I don't know. Just understanding who their audience is and what it is that they're trying to market. You know, is it is it a service? Is it a product? You know, those things are make a huge difference. And again, the people being adaptable to understanding and learning and growing in those areas because people can do both. You know, if they understand a sales channel or if they understand a sales platform, you know, how adaptable are they to shifting that focus and going to a different area? Because I've seen a lot of people, especially in dental, you know, come from medical sales, come from telecom sales, because think of dentistry in the last 10 years and you know, what we've gone from used to be just a, a, a product. And now you've got, you've got SaaS, you've got, you've got technology, you have so many things that you're offering to your dental offices, as well as to manufacturers, as well as hey. to individuals. So it, it has expanded so much. And we have to realize that dentistry is pretty far behind when it comes to that. Medical has been there for a long time and other industries have been there for a long time. Hmm, that's a great point. And so what, if someone's thinking about making that jump um, from, so they're in this, I, I've seen people do this where they're like, oh, I'm an executive at uh, a DSO and I want to start my own business or I want to go work for now. I was just talking to a, a, an individual that recently he was a like, really high up in Henry Shine. And then he moved over to CEO of a DSO. Like it's a big jump. Like what, what are, what are you seeing out there? Are you seeing a lot of that right now? Oh, we definitely, definitely see that. I mean, I came into the DSO segment of the world in 2006. And I think there, it was just kind of on the cusp of things. It's totally different than that now. So 18 years later, it's completely different. And I, I call us that that was that was a very pivotal point in my dental career is learning that side of the dental industry. I'm like people are going to want to be here someday. And after having just been at Dykema, you can see 
people want to be in that space. So there's so much to learn and there's so much to gain from this. I mean, there's friendships, there's study clubs, there's, I mean, there's just so much to gain from that. And it's a more intimate setting with a lot of support. And I'm not saying that, you know, the larger organizations don't have that kind of support, but Mm -hmm. you can see just from, you know, the few shows that we've been at in the last six months, how intimate they are and how much everybody really enjoys being around each other. Yeah, dental's more relationship-based than most industries, I would say. Would you say that is accurate? Definitely. Why, why do you, you think that is? Of like, a, when you walk in and out of an office, I mean, regardless of whether you're selling a product or a service, you're a patient, you know, you're whatever it is you're doing, you're in an office and you're right there. When you go into medical, you're not necessarily there. A salesperson isn't right in the mix of that all the time. They may be in pharma, yeah. but for the most part, they're going straight to the executive office. In our industry, they're walking into an office where they are patients with the patient and they're right there. Yeah. Yeah. So there's that conduit almost immediately. That's such a good point. Yeah. Because Daniel, like I've kind of seen, I've seen a disconnect with this too, where, um, that kind of feeds into your notion there where it's like, um, you have a lot of times you'll have DSOs that'll say, Oh, we have great culture. And, and what they mean is, is at the DSO level, and then they might have bad culture at the office level. Like no one wants to work at the office. People love working at the DSO because it's almost like two different worlds. But then when you start to go into the dental office, everybody doesn't matter if you're the owner or if you're the CEO of the DSO or you're the dentist that's doing the, the, the treatment or the front desk. Once you get into the, the office, like we're kind of all on the same playing field because you're, you have, I call it live action fire, right? You have people coming in and out. And so I guess, yeah, in those other industries, there's layers to it. And dental just doesn't have too many of those layers. It's kind of like the DSO and all the dental offices. And that's kind of it. Yeah. And you get the opportunity, especially in the DSO space, you get the opportunity to interact with the with the change makers at the executive level. But you also get to interact with those people that are utilizing your product or use, utilizing your services at the same time so you're getting and and they're gonna they're gonna either like your services or your product or they're not and they're not going to be afraid to tell you yes yeah that's very true um what if someone's listening to this and they're like man i'm i'm i need to hire probably maybe a ceo or a cfo or a coo or whatever whatever that first kind of hire is for them what what is what's one piece of advice that you'd give to people and and i'm thinking just to give you to give you some help, like I'm thinking five to ten locations. The dentist is still the main producer of all of those practices. They're, but they're starting to transition out. They've just realized, man, as I transition out, I'm actually going to make less money and take more business risk and more loans out. So it's hard for them to make this jump because it's it doesn't make financial sense or common sense. It's actually a calculated move for a long term benefit. And so they're just starting to figure that out, but they know they need to do that. And now they're like, I need support. Like I, I can't be HR and CEO and CFO and COO. What, what's your first piece of advice as people start to step into that direction? They have to understand that it's okay to be curious. It's okay to give themselves a promotion. And they have to understand that if they're a dentist going into that 
into that segment of then I'm going to start building out locations, they're going to have to give themselves a promotion. And when they give themselves that promotion, that doesn't necessarily mean more money. It sometimes means you're going to have a little bit more of uh, all over the place with line versus a lateral, you know, here's my schedule every day and this is what it's going to look like. It's going to be spaghetti. Yeah. I call it spaghetti and waffles. So the waffles are where my syrup is and it's my patience. It's what I'm going to do each time. And spaghetti, you're going to grab a hold of that noodle and you have no idea where it's going to be on the other end. And it's going to be different every single day. And once they give themselves that promotion, they go from their patient being their primary focus to their team members not being their primary Ooh, focus. And their team member point. starts out as their dentists that are working with them because that's going to be their brand. That's what they're going to be utilizing to help grow them. And that is where they have to, you know, they have to give them the hugs, the feels, the growth, the opportunity to have input, the opportunity to be those change agents and be able to articulate how they want to grow. So a what begin with the end in mind and what yeah. they want that to look like over the next one year, three years, and five years. And don't be afraid of what's in the middle because it's not, it's not always pretty. Yeah. You know, that's such a good point because as a dentist, whether you're an associate or an owner doctor of, you know, a couple of practices and you're practicing day to day, really you're beat, you're like, you're like solid B to C, right? Like you're just like patient, 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 patient. As long as the patients are happy, everything else works, right? Like pretty much in dental. Then you, when you transition out of the chair and you move into more of like a group or a DSO where you're centralizing, you know, C-suite and those kind of things, um, you really move to more B2B minded, right? Because your first customer is the dentist and they're definitely not a, like a traditional customer, like a patient, they're more like a business. And so you, you kind of, there's, there's a transition that happens there. And I don't think most people acknowledge that, right? That, Hey, you just went from, and, and one of the things for what I try to explain to people, cause I have people reach out to me and they see me online and stuff. And they'll be like, Gary, can you help my business market to dentists? And I go, we don't do B2B marketing. I do B2B marketing for myself, but I don't offer it as a service. Um, we do B2C and they're like, well, is it the same? And I'm like, it couldn't be further from the same. Like, yes, they're both in marketing, but it's like the difference between doing a, a dental hygiene cleaning versus doing implants. Like, yes, it's all in the dental family, but it's radically different in the way that you have to approach it. Is that kind of how you see it too? Very, very much, very much. I mean, having been in, you know, every segment of dentistry from education to hands in the mouth to now recruiting at that other level, it is different. It's so vastly different. Um, and just again, the landscape of dentistry has changed and it's not going to go backwards. It's going to continue to evolve. It's going to continue to grow. It's going to continue to take on different, again, different spaghetti. <laughs> I love that. Um, if someone, if someone's like, man, you know, I need help with this kind of stuff. I, I don't want to have to go out here and find the right people all the time. How can they get a hold of you? Uh, they can go to pagemeadrecruiting.com and submit um, whether they want to be a client to look for that talent or whether they are talent that are looking for a change in their career. Teresa at pagemeadrecruiting.com 
or go to patreonrecruiting.com and just fill out the link. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. Very, very helpful information. Love the way that you're thinking. Love that you're touching multiple different parts of the dental industry. It's really important that we understand the whole ecosystem and what we're actually competing against because it's not as simple as just like, oh, I just want to hire a CFO or a COO. It's like, no, you're competing against vendors. You're competing against dentists. You're competing against all kinds of other things. So it's important to understand that and important to have people like you in, their, in, in, in our corner to help us understand that. So thank you so much. Thank you, Gary. It's great being on here.